0: All right, Genesis chapter 1 this morning, Genesis chapter 1, we, we dove in last week into the, an introduction of the book of Genesis, and, and for reasons that we'll get into as we look at verse 1, we'll, uh, that'll become clear to us as we, as we go in today. Uh, but today we're going to look at, at Genesis chapter 1, and, and as you could understand, uh, there's an awful lot in Genesis 1 uh, that we could say, but we're, we're going to narrow it down. We're going to pick on some, some selected topics here, uh, and, and then we'll work on those uh, and, and see what uh, what foundations we have for us here today. Before we do that, let's get started with a word of prayer. Father, we come to you this morning, and we come to, uh, to, to praise you for how, for how glorious you are for the fact that you are holy, uh, the fact that you are, you are completely other. And, and Father, we, we derive those truths uh, from, 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 pardon me, from Scripture. Father, what we, what we see of you, the way that we see you act, the, the way that we see you portrayed, um, Father, it, it becomes evident that these, these are your qualities, these are your properties. And, and it is for that that we praise you. And so, Father, these kind of passages this morning, Father, are, are extremely important to us, Father, to, to see you, to understand you, so that we can properly praise you, whether that's in song, Father, whether that's in the, in the way that we, uh, we speak about you, uh, whether that's in the, in the way that we display you, uh, Father, in, in our day-to-day lives, uh, Father, that knowledge, these truths that we find here this morning are, are indispensable in, in, in guiding our thoughts and in guiding our lives. So give us grace this morning, Father, as we look at Genesis, Father, at truths that are uh, that are at one hand simple and at the other hand quite profound. Uh, Father, give us grace uh, to, to tackle those, uh, give us grace to, to, to meditate on those, give us grace to, to think clearly on these things, uh, and Father, we pray that you are glorified again as the outcome of that. Uh, give me grace, uh, Father, this morning to, to think clearly, to speak clearly. Uh, and, and Father, again, uh, may you be glorified, may you be praised and seen for what you are this morning uh, through your acts of creation. In Jesus, name I pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 1 here this morning, let me, let me read the first 19 verses for us here this morning. We'll pick up some of the others as we go through, but let me, let me read verses 1 through 19. If you're thinking through, uh, knowing what we're getting into with Genesis 1, this is days 1 through 4, okay? Uh, days 1 through 4, and those are, those are extremely important for what we're, what we're discussing this morning. So Genesis chapter 1 here, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. Then God said, Let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. Let it separate the waters from the waters." God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth sprout vegetation. Plants yielding seed and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning the third day. Then God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser night to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth and to govern the light, govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. So these are the, the first of, of four days of creation. There's two more that we'll find verses uh, twenty down through through thirty one. We'll we'll pick up on the on the on the sixth day of creation here in a in a few minutes. Uh, but the first four days of creation, as as related to us by, by Moses here in Genesis, as we jump into to Genesis, you really are jumping into Genesis. All right, right there is there is no <laughs> there's no introduction. It reminds me very much of just being dropped right into the middle of a movie and you're just kind of left to orient yourselves as to exactly what is going on and figure out, hey, what is exactly what is happening here. It's, that's it. it's that kind of uh, the way that you're just kind of dropped right in there. There's no, uh, there's no introduction, right, to say, by the way, this is Moses and I'm, I'm writing this here letter to let you know a few things. Uh, there's no, hey, this is Paul, by the way. There's some, some introductory thoughts and a little prayer to, to get you started in here. You're just, you're just dropped right in there. And as you are dropped right in there, it seems utterly appropriate, doesn't it? How what else are you going to How else are you going to introduce this? How else are you going to Are you going to reflect exactly what is going on in this in this first chapter? It's so it's so foundational. It is so uh, it it is so important to understand that this is this is the beginning of everything. You'd kind of lose it if you, if you threw in an introduction there. And so here we are, we're, we're dropped right into Genesis, we are dropped right into creation, uh, and it's as if we have a front row seat to see this is exactly what happened. Uh, this, is, this is how things occurred. And, and again, as we talked last week, that's intentional, right? The author has intentions in mind. He wants to convey these kind of truths. He wants to make this kind of impression on you, uh, and he's going to do it uh, exactly the way that he wants to here. As we look this morning at Genesis chapter 1, there's, there's three main thoughts that I want us to, to understand here this morning. They all center around creation, uh, which is fitting, and they all center upon the one who is doing the creating, which is also utterly essential. Uh, the first idea that I want to make sure that we understand here this morning is that creation is accomplished singularly by God. Creation is accomplished singularly by God. This is, this is extremely important for us. As we talked last week, Genesis is, is forming a foundation. And as it is forming a foundation, it's not coming into a vacuum. It, it's not as if the children of Israel are, are getting this text, they're getting this narrative from Moses, and there are no other competing ideas for how these things came to be. There are lots of competing ideas about how these things came to be. Many of them involve floods. Uh, many of them involve deities doing creation work. Uh, many of them involve epic fights and, and, and deep mythology. And, and there are plenty of stories. And it, it's not unique just to uh, these ancient Near Easterns. You, you look at Native American traditions. You see these things happen. You go, uh, you go to aboriginal cultures in, in Australia. You see these kind of ideas. Every, every culture, every civilization has some idea, some concept, some story of this is where things began. Here in America... There's a large majority that has another theory of how that works, don't they? It right? doesn't involve mythology per se. doesn't involve a deity per se, but it involves a narrative, right? and, it, and it's, it's foundational. It, it, becomes, it becomes cultural in its nature. So Genesis here is, is not coming into a vacuum. Genesis is coming into a midst of, of competing ideas of how this earth is created and how it portrays that creation then is very important. Right, Who is mentioned and who is not mentioned becomes extremely important as this narrative is laid out here. And we notice that as we look at this narrative, this creative, this creative work that is being done here is done singularly by God. He's the only one mentioned. There, are, there is no mention of any other deities. This is the first thing that we notice, right? This is, this is a singular creation. Now, you go through here and, and you see that there are no other deities present at all. Is there? There's no no mention of an epic struggle. Uh, There's no mention of a a fight that takes place. Uh, There's no mention of pre-existing civilizations or cultures or anything like that. All that you have in verse 1, in the beginning, God. Singular, right? And as we understand this creative narrative to unfold, it makes sense. That's exactly what the story is, is, is meant to portray. There is no one else present. Uh, there's just him. We see the Spirit of God moving over the surface of the waters in verse 2. Uh, right? There's, he, he has a presence that is there. Uh, we see later on in verse 26 that there is, there is room for someone else to be present there. Let us make man in our image. right? There are plurals there. There is, there is room for something else to be there. There is room for someone else to be there. But even if you're, you're <laughs> we'll get to who that probably is, but even then you don't have a clear definition. Right? There's no mention of anyone else being present. There are no, there are no deities. Uh, Baal is, is not here. Any other gods that you could possibly think of are not here. Right? It is just God. He is singular in his presence. He is singular in his creative acts. It's always him. It's just him. Everyone else is excluded. Not only that, but any other possible deities are placed in their respective places. This is, this is fascinating, and you, kind of, you might miss it as you go along through here, this passage, uh, but, it, but it's very clear in what, in what is taking place here. Not only do we not have any reference to any other deities, uh, but anything else that you might run to from the other stories that are nearby in those civilizations are downplayed to the greatest degree possible. You think about um, verses fourteen through nineteen. That, that that fourth day of creation, in which uh, you have heavenly bodies that are being created, and then you have, uh, and then you have the, the seas um, that that are that are being. Um, no, excuse me, just heavenly bodies uh, that, that are being created here in verse 14, right? And we're, we're putting in verse 14, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens, right? We've already created the expanse of the heavens there in verse one. It exists, it's out there. Uh, we, have, we already have light and we have darkness. He's created all those things. Now he's putting these, these bodies up in the sky and he's, and he's placing them where he wants to. And think about what he, what he does there uh, in verse 16. He made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the the night, he made the stars also. He doesn't even reference the sun and moon by name. He doesn't even reference them by name. He calls them by another name, the greater light and the lesser light. It's as if he wants to be so far removed from throwing in the possibility of any deities present that he doesn't even bother to actually call them by what you and I would normally call them. It's simply a greater light and a lesser light. It's no different than saying, I've got a really big chandelier over here and a slightly lesser chandelier over here. right? It's given that same exact emphasis. It's referenced in that exact same way. Lest you think that the sun is kind of important or the moon is kind of important. No, no, no. It's just a brighter light and a less shiny light. Right? That's it. That's all that it is. He even goes so far, and it's been noted by many others, he made the stars also. Like, yeah, by the way, we also made some stars. You know, just, just throwing it out there. right? It, it, it's to downplay that there could be any role that those could possibly have in your life. It's to downplay that there's any, 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 anything of value to them, that there's anything to be worshipped with them at all. We downplay them. We, we push them to the side. They are no more than created acts they are no more than created objects that are up there in the sky they have purposes uh, they have he has plans for them he has created them and placed them exactly where he wants them to be they do exactly what he wants them to do and that's absolutely it right there's nothing else that you should be observing about these two things just a greater light and a lesser light some of you in verse 21 and we haven't read this let me read verses 20 And God said, let the waters teem with swarms of living creatures. Let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the great sea monsters and every living thing that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind and every winged bird after its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply in the earth. And there was evening and there was morning a fourth day some of you your translations will will differ there but in verse 21 is as we are creating the things that are that are swimming in the seas that are swarming in the seas and the things that are that are flying up in the heavens and swarming up in the heavens and you you understand that God wants things to swarm which is which is fascinating right this is this is what i want i want these things to swarm i want there to be a lot of them there Verse 21, the great sea monsters, and translations handle this differently. You may see whales, you may see, someone may try to get real specific, but this this idea of great sea monsters, God singles it out here. This this is singled out in creation because you look at, at competing creative stories that exist in that time. The sea is a big deal, and sea monsters play a big role in that. And here, what are they? They're just something that's been created. You might fear them, you might wonder about them, you might be terrified about them, as you'll see maybe in the book of Job, as there are references to great sea monsters that are, that are living in the deeps. But God created them. Right? They're, not, they're not chaotic forces that exist on their own. Those things, as terrifying as they are, those things, as amazing as they possibly are, whatever it is that they are, they're just created. They're just objects. Right? And, they, and they serve to, to, to achieve his purposes. He happens to want things that swarm, and so here's some sea monsters, and they swarm, right? That, that's all that they are. You see a very deliberate effort not only to exclude there being anyone else present, not only that there could be any, not only to exclude any other deities from being available to do anything else at this time, let alone even to observe what is going on at this point in time. Any possible deities are placed in their respective places. Right? They are confined. They are, they are put in boxes, as it were, as if to say, these are nothing. And by the way, I made these. Right? That, that's all that he's doing here. Right? And he is, he is, what he is doing is he is directing our attention to the one who is creating. Right. And, and by doing so, he is ruling out everything else. Right. So as you run into Canaanites and they say, well, uh, this God created this. They look back at Genesis 1 and say, uh, I, I don't see them present at all. <laughs> They're not there. They're not to be seen at all, right? This is the and this is the purpose of Genesis one, right? It is to clarify who the Creator is. It is to clarify that He is singular as the one and the one who is doing the creative works. There's no one else to pay attention to. There's no one else to worship. There's no one else to fear. Uh, there is Him and Him alone, and He is responsible for all of these things. Not only do we see him putting these these respective people in their places or, or excluding them altogether, but then we see also there's a difficulty of seeing any purely chaotic or natural forces at work. As you read through these, uh, these accounts, each day as it, as it unfolds, uh, there is a, there's this kind of a, a formula that takes place, isn't there? There's a, uh, there's a decision that we're going to create these things, and then he speaks, and then those things are created, and then there's kind of an assessment that takes place. This is really good. And then we have another day, and boom, we start with another day, right? There's a, there's a, there's a formula that takes place there. There's a, uh, there, there's a real, uh, there's a deliberateness that takes place, right? We're doing this and now we're going to do 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 this. You may, you may quibble over the order, right? You may you may struggle with why we have light and we have darkness, but we don't have anything up in the sky and, until day four, right? You can, you can struggle with some of these ideas. You can, you can think through exactly what does it mean for that to take place? What does it mean to have waters above the heavens? What does it, what does it mean to have some of these things? You can quibble over that, but you can't quibble over the fact that there's a deliberateness that's taking place here, right? It's Boom, 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 boom. Uh, there, is no, there is no disorder that's running around there. There's no, there's no chaos uh, that is running around. In fact, the only place that you could possibly see some chaos uh, is there in verses uh, 1 through 3. And even then, uh, we can easily rectify everything that, that is going on here, right? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2, the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. The only hint of chaos that you get is there in verse 2. As you, as you look at this earth that is just kind of sitting there and it's, it's barren. Right? There, there's nothing there. There's nothing to be observed. There's nothing to be seen. It is, it is formless. It is void. The idea there is, is of, a, of a desert right when you when you go and you go in the middle of the desert and there is nothing present at all right that is what this earth is like and, and not only is it not only is it empty is it is it just desolate but it's completely flooded right? there's just nothing but water everywhere right that, that's all you see is just this is this ball of water that's sitting there it's the only bit of creation that starts to look kind of chaotic right and this is where verse 1 becomes important in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth Verse 1 is not simply a summary that says, by the way, I created all these things. And then you get to verse 2 and you say, oh, look, there, this earth happened. they have just been kind of floating around out there. That's real neat. He must have inherited this somehow. And those of you who have, have done some studies through the years, you know that people will try to, try to dram, jam some stuff in between verse 1 and 2 and try to try to make something out of something that's really not there, out of an argument of silence. And there's really no no cause for that. Verse 1 is not just a summary. Verse 1 is the creative act itself. Verse 1 is the first creative act. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when you see verse 2 there, that was the result of verse 1. It's exactly what that was going on, right? God said, we're going to create the heavens and the earth. Boom. There it is. Now, what does that look like without stars and planets and, and everything running around in there? I don't know, you got me, right? But that's what, that's what he does. And he goes back in and almost colors it in later as he does in verse 4 and starts beginning to, to assign items to where they are. There's no room for, for chaos here. Uh, there, there's no room for, for purely natural forces to begin to, to unfold and, and make things happen. Rather, everything that is mentioned in this passage is deliberate. Everything that is mentioned in this passage is planned. Everything that is taking place here is of an artist or a builder who is working off of a blueprint and saying, all right, uh, this is step one, and then step two, and then step three, and then step four, and then step five. This is what this looks like. It's not a simple throwing a ball out in the middle of the universe and waiting for something to happen, and, and just sitting there eagerly waiting for something to blow up. That's, that's not what's going on here, right? It is deliberate it is planned it is careful and as we look at compete again as we look at competing theories for how the earth is created that becomes important doesn't it right it means that there are some theories that are out there some theories that are present where someone says this is how the earth was created and you and i we go to genesis 1 and we say there's no room for that here i can't i can't make that fit that doesn't fit it doesn't work Uh, The earth that we see, the earth as we know it, as it it has been created for us, as it's been related for us in Scripture here, the earth is the work of a singular creator who has carefully, deliberately, and personally planned the way this earth, the way this universe, the way these stars, the way everything that is floating around and spinning around and whizzing around throughout this universe, all of those things have been carefully and thoughtfully planned. The irony is, is if you see randomness, if you see things that are, this seems chaotic, you're working at hand, you're looking at handiwork. You're looking at a God who is wise enough to create, who is powerful enough to create things that spin, things that are random, things that are spinning, that look to be out of control, but they're not. They're planned, they're deliberate, they're architected. They are, they, are, they, are, they are meaningfully done. They are intentionally done here, right? God is the singular creator, as Genesis portrays it here, and, and, and it excludes all other theories, right? It excludes all other possible ways that this earth could have been created. It is him and him alone. Other deities are excluded. Other possible deities are put in their place, and purely chaotic or natural forces are left to the side. There's no room for them here, right? And so the the author of Genesis, as he has recorded this for us here, has given us something that stands the test of time. There's not a theory of creation that has ever come across this earth that this this chapter doesn't deal with at some point, right? Because man's theories all look about the same, uh, because man is roughly the same, right? And Genesis lays out an opposing viewpoint. It says, this is how this happened. And this is, this is what we expected to have seen here. So we see that God is the singular uh, person in creation. He is the singular creator uh, in this action. Not only do we see this, but we see that creation was good. Okay, So he's the, he is the singular creator. And then we see that creation was good. This goes back to this this formula that we that we noticed that we observed. We see it probably in its fullest in day one verses one through five. You've got that you've got those elements in their in their fullest form, and it's it's formulaic. Right, and what we mean by formulaic is that you're you're using those same kind of repetitions over and over and over again. Right, so so you see, let us, and then you'll go to day two, and you see let us, and you'll go to day three, and you see let us, you go to day four, and you see let us, uh, right, and then you and then you see the 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 actual things, and it was so, right, and then it was so, and then it was so, right. That's the that's the formula, right? It's the same repetition over and over again. Part of this repetition. Is what we see here, and we'll pick on um, we'll pick on verse um, we'll pick on verse ten. Right, God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters He called seas. And God saw that it was good. Right, you have this. You have this. uh, What looks to be chaotic, right? An empty earth, uh, right? That is that is barren. That is full of water, and God begins in that verse to begin to contain those waters, and said, "You're no longer allowed to just go wherever you want. You have boundaries now." Right? You have to go here. The seas have to go here. They're not allowed to, 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 to go wherever they want. They will be allowed to do that again, won't they? The flood. Right? They're allowed to overflow. They're allowed to, to, to go back to what you would have seen there in verse 2. But here God is saying, all right, seas, all you waters, you've got you to gotta be in one spot. Can't have you doing whatever you want to do anymore. You've got you to gotta belong right here. And God looks at it and he says, this is good. This is good. Right? Not not. This is okay. (laughs) Right? That's acceptable. Sometimes when I'm doing something and I'm working on the house, I'm like, "Eh, "It's good enough." Right? That's not what we're talking about here. This is this is good. Right? This is this is right. This is this is the way things are supposed to be. This is a this is a phrase that we see over and over again expressed. The only day that we don't see it is in day two. Unless you think that, well, day two was a bit of a bummer, right? That didn't go very well. In case you think that, verse, verse 31 is the catch-all that, that makes sure that you don't think that thing. Verse 31, God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. Right, so you have this assessment of this is good every single day except for day two. At Verse 31, you have that catch-all, right? Everything that I have made right from, from verse one all the way down to, to verse 30, everything that I have done, it is very good. right this is, uh, this, is this is right. this is this is exactly uh, the way that it is supposed to be. And as we think through what the author is, is intending for us to think through is this simply God going through a, a QA process right? He's got a little clipboard there just going through He said, oh yep that looks good, that looks good. Is that what he's doing? Is that, is that the only purpose for us? Uh, someone was talking about the numbers you used to get in your genes, right? The little little inspector numbers and, oh, number one, check my genes, right? That's not what we're doing here, right? That's not simply what is being expressed. What is being expressed here is an answer to a question that perplexes many of us, doesn't it? Which is, how did this world get to be the, as chaotic as it is then, Right? Some, have, some have looked at, at, at expressions in this world, at, at events that happen in this world. They've described it as, as red in tooth and claw. Right? It, it's a chaotic world in, in which you, you watch hurricanes spin around and they, they call us a model of destruction. You can look at other, other phenomena. You can look at maybe volcanoes uh, right as they erupt and, and people, are, people are killed and, and property is destroyed. Uh, you think about animals, you know, right? And, and, and many times they are cuddly and they are cute and they're wonderful. And then many times you're bleeding, <laughs> right? How did this, how did this happen, uh, right? There is, there is death that we see on this earth. There is, uh, there, is a, uh, there is a hostility that we face in this earth. There's a reason you and I live in houses, right? It's miserable to, to be running around outside in the rain. It's miserable uh, to be dealing with the, the cold, although we haven't had as much of that this year, right? It, it is miserable to do these things. It's a, it's a hostile world. Right? And one of the questions that emerges is, why is this? Was it created this way? Did God put us on an earth and say, yeah, guess what? fend for yourself, guys. Good luck. Have fun. Is that what he did? Is it like a survival show where they drop you off on an island and you just got to figure it out? Right? That, that's not what's going on here. And the author of Genesis is, is laying this out for us. He is asking, asking the question, why did God create such a world? And the answer that comes back is he didn't. He didn't. He created a world that is good. He created a world that day by day, step by step, you looked at it and you would have said, this is a good earth. This is a beautiful creation. This is everything exactly the way that it was meant to be. Right? This, is, this is all right. Right? This, this was how God created it. This was what he, what he intended it for. This, this was the way things were meant to be. So then the question becomes not, well, why did God create an earth like this? The question becomes what? Well, what happened, right? If it, as it was created, it was good, then the question becomes not how did, why did he create a world like this, but the question becomes how did we get to this point then? How did we get this point to where there is death? How did we get to the point where there is disease and, and pestilence and, and there is sorrow coming both from us and from the world around us and from animals as, as we observe them in creation? Where did these things come from, right? That becomes the far more important question. And will Genesis answer that for us as well? It will, it will, but it's pointed us already in that direction, right? You look at this earth, you look at the way that it functions, the the, the guilty party is not God, it's not the guilty party here, right? There is something else that is at work, there is another force that is at work, there is someone else who is going to be doing something, right? And, And this is going to be what means, what takes us from a world that is good, verse 31, a world that is very good, to a world that is hostile that is red and tooth and claw, uh, where we have disease and we have pestilence and we have, uh, we have various distresses that we go through. Where did this come from, right? It didn't come from the hand of the Creator. It came from somewhere else. And for us as believers, I think that's important for us to understand. It seems, it seems rudimentary, does it not, right? Because we know about Genesis 3. We know what is coming. We, we understand that we are talking about sin here and we are going to be dealing with that. But as believers, this still has as relevance to us. As, as believers as individuals who are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth, is it not important that he can create the first one good? It is important isn 't it because if he if he somehow just kind of kind of messed up the first one what 's to say he didn't completely learn all the lessons he needs for the second one right and and, and that 's not going to be a concern it's not it 's not a worry. He created the first one well, right The second one is going to be good. Because in between, we've had the story of redemption, uh, right, that has has dealt with those issues, has moved those things off the scene, and we have seen that has been part of God's purpose as well. That has been part of his intentions. That has been part of his plan. And so it is important for us that as we look and we see that this is a creation that is good, this was important for them to make sure that they were asking the right questions and thinking about things appropriately, but it still remains relevant for us who look forward to a new heaven, to a new earth, will it be good? And the answer is yes. Yes, it will be good. Because this creator only makes good things. He only creates things that are good. And when he says this will be good, it's going to be good, right? It it, it forms a foundation for us as we look in the future. So we see that God is is singular in in creation. Uh, We see that this creation is good. And then thirdly, we see that creation is accomplished by the word of God. Creation is accomplished by the Word of God. This is a, a resounding theme that we see as we look uh, throughout this passage. Um, if, we could, um, if we can pick on we'll pick on verse 14, we can pick on any of the days because they all have it in there, but pick on verse 14. Then God said, "Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for years. All right? Every single time as we look at creation, there is, a, uh, there is this let us that takes place, right? Uh, there, is a, uh, there is simply an expression that goes out. There are, there are words uh, that, that are spoken. And every single time, we find that it was so. And it was so. Creation occurs simply by God speaking. That's it. Right? And this is what we sing, holy, 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 right? This is, this is part of what informs that kind of a, an assessment of God's character. And not, this is what determines that characteristic. He is other. He, he is completely other and in so many different ways. That holiness runs a spectrum of everything that he is different in. And this is one of them. To be able to simply speak and things simply are. I can speak a lot of things and they have not come true. Right, and you have to, right? You know, you know, I'm not alone in that, right? There are a number of things. If I could just make it so, it would be so, and I don't possess that ability, right? This is why we admire people who are artists. This is why we admire people that are builders—someone that can take a, a thought and an, an idea, a, a blueprint that sits in their head, and be able to actually transform it into something. And it takes work, right? It takes—it takes skill. You have to know the materials that you're working with. You gotta—you gotta do all the things to make it look right. You gotta figure out the processes to work. God doesn't actually have to worry about any of those things, right? Because all he has to do is simply speak. And, and there it is. It simply, it simply exists. It simply is present. Uh, we think about verse 1 as, as expressing that, that biblical concept of ex nihilo, right? This, this out-of-nothingness that exists. There is, there is nothing else that is present. And yet with those words, let there be, uh, you know, it's going to create the heavens and the earth. Suddenly there's material present. He's able to create his own material that he works off of, uh, even even as much as he is able to simply create things. He speaks, and these things happen. But even though we see that it is his speaking that is accomplishing these things, we see that there are other factors that are probably involved with creation as well. We're not blind to the fact that in verse 2, who's hovering over the face of the waters? Spirit of God. All right. The spirit of God is is present there just kind of hovering. Uh, how you view that is is different. There's a number of ways of taking that. You can maybe see it as a uh, maybe like a, as a bird kind of hovering over her her young there, kind of kind of brooding over them. Uh, you can see it as simply as as a wind uh, that is moving uh, over the waters, which which takes you to John chapter three, does it not? As we think about the the, the, the spirit of God working like a, like a wind, we don't know where it comes, you don't know where it goes. We simply see it at work. Uh, you have that expression as well, which I, which I kind of favor for a number of ways, right? But even though God is simply speaking, we see that the spirit is present, right? That the spirit is, is there. He is, he is operating in some capacity. He's, he's present in some capacity uh, to be doing something, even though he is a spirit and, and cannot simply be seen, right? But he is present. Uh, he is there. There is, a, there is a spiritual presence. There is a divine work at play. And then as we go into verses 26 through, through 30, as we get to the creation of man, uh, we see that there is room for someone else. There's room for someone else. Verse 26, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all earth, and every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Right? Verse 26, Let us make man. Let us make man. Who's the us? Now, who, are, who are we talking about here, right? We've, we've already talked about how we have a singular God that is present here, right? The only other person that we have seen is in the spirit of God, right? That, that's it, and you can't even see him, right? He's a spirit, right? That's the only other presence that is, that is, that is operating as far as we can tell here. Who is this, who is this us in verse 26? Uh, and there are a number of options for how you look at that. Uh, you can see that as, as, a, as, a, um, as indicating uh, that he is... Um, A sovereign, he is a ruler, right? When the queen speaks, there is the the royal we that takes place, right? It's just her, but she can say we say, right? It's it's a perfectly plausible way. It's possible that this is deliberation that is taking place, right? You ever thought to yourself, now this is a fine mess for us to be in, and it's just you, (laughs) right? Now you're 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 not you don't have multiple personalities, right? That's just it's your inner self as it were talking to your outer self, and you're thinking through this is what are we going to do here. It's possible that's what's going on here. It's possible that God is looking at this heavenly court, would have been created in chapter 1, or verse 1 there. It's possible that he's looking at, at his court and saying, well, let's create man, right? We're going to create him in our image. The problem, though, is that when we get in verse 27, God created man in his own image, not in their own image. So it's, it doesn't seem that you could see a heavenly court being present, but that's not what's actually taking place by the time you get to the next verse. So that doesn't seem to be what's taking place. It's clearly a plural, but we don't know exactly what is, what is going on there. But there's room for someone else, even though we're talking about a singular God here. And this is what takes us back to, to John chapter 1. In John chapter 1, and verses 1 through 3, John, the Apostle John records for us, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him nothing came into being that has come into being, right? Genesis leads it kind of just there, right? There's a plural there, right? It seems to be God. You can explain it away by saying, well, it's, the, it's a royal we, it's a deliberative we. You can use some other we's that you could throw in there, but, uh, but it doesn't come out and say, well, that's, by the way, this is Jesus Christ. John chapter one, the apostle John fills that in for you. And he says, you see that let us that you saw there in Genesis chapter one? He says, let me, let me fill that in for you. Who was that? That was the Son. It was the Word of God, right? And this is where the Word that is being spoken throughout every day of creation becomes all the more important. It is not simply that it is words that are going out of God's mouth, but it is the work of the Son who is the Word, the Logos, the the, the one who reveals, right? He is Him who is doing the speaking. He is the one doing the speaking in this case, and He is active in creation. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, who is saying, let there be light? It's the sun. Who is saying, let us make man in our image? It's the sun. Who says, I want to see swarming things in the sky and swarming things down in the oceans? It's the sun, right? And so the picture that that becomes formed for us here is that all of the Trinity is at work on creation day. The Spirit of God is hovering over the face of the waters and no doubt carrying out these actions in in some capacity. The Father is the one who is saying, we're going to do these things. And it's the Son who comes on the scene and says, hey, we're doing these things, right? And speaks of the very words uh, that are coming out here in Genesis chapter 1. It's the Son. He's active. He's moving here. And he's accomplishing exactly everything the Father wants him to do, which is a theme you'll see later on picked up in the Gospel of John, isn't it? The entire trinity is at work here in creation. It's obscured in Genesis, right? There's room for it, but it's not Moses' point. Moses doesn't know who that is, right? But John comes back in and says, let me, let me fill that out for you here. That was the son. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. This is an important point for us to, to make because this is, this is crucial to what the father wants for the son. This is why that creation is solely the act of God becomes so important. Why must I, as a believer, believe this? Right? Colossians answers this question for us. Colossians chapter 1, let me read verses 15 down to verse 20. This uh, serves as a bridge to get us to the Lord's Supper as well. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul writes here He is the image of the invisible God. The firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure... For all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross. Through him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Colossians one verses fifteen through uh, through seventeen. There we get a we get a view, don't we, of the Son. He's really reiterating what you saw, what we what I've just read for you in John chapter one, right? He's taking the Son and he's placing him in creation, right? And he's saying all of the things that you see. He has, he has created them. End of verse 16, they have been created through him and for him. Right? They are for him. This entire creation is for him. It, is, it is, is his. It is meant to be his. You see in Revelation, when he gets these, these scrolls, these deeds that are being given, it was for him. It's always been for him. There's nothing that's ever been different about that thing, right? You see, so you see the Son. He is placed at creation. But then Paul goes further, and he brings in things that we would think about, right? We're thinking about this with the Son, right? He is the head of the body, the church, uh, there in verse 18, right? So that he will come to have first place in everything. Verse 19, for it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him. What does the Father want for the Son, he wants the Son to be exalted. He wants the Son to be front and center. He wants Him to be first in all things as we saw in the previous verse, right? And so how does the Father do this thing? Well, if you've been with me in John, well, one of the things is He's there and He's exalted, is He not? As He walks on this earth and He fulfills the Father's will, everything that He sees the Father saying and doing, He says and He does. And the Son is exalted because of that. But don't forget that this comes along with verse, the previous verses, 15 through 16, Right? creation is also a part of this all of this is put together just as much as in verse 20 as we think about the reconciling that takes place right for which the son also gets preeminence and which we are commemorating here this morning right but even creation is part of the father's plan he wanted the son to be present in creation he wanted the son to be responsible for creation so that the son would have fullness The Son is is fully divine, just as much as the Father is. The Son is fully worthy of all glory and all praise, just as much as the Father is. And the Father had did that at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1, kicked that off. And so what you see is creation is part of the Son's glory. Creation is part of the Son's praise. Creation is part of the Son's identity. All things were done through Him and for Him. It is to his glory that this earth was created. It is to his glory that it looks the way that it did, that it was good. It is for his glory. And so any competing theory that takes that away from the Son, you're taking away from what the Father wants the Son to have. You're taking away the glory that is due to the Son. Genesis 1 cannot be divorced from the Son. It cannot be. The son's work does not start when he sets foot in Matthew. Right? The son's work goes back to creation. And you cannot split apart Genesis 1 and say, well, that's a little fairy tale that we can chop off and split off, and it'll be okay. We got the rest of it. No. The son's identity is rooted in Genesis chapter 1, just as much as it is rooted in the cross that we're talking about here this morning. You cannot do violence to either one of those without doing violence to what the father wants without doing violence to the glory which the Son is meant to have and is intended to have. You cannot do it. It is who he is. It is his glory. It is his praise, right? He is active in creation. Genesis makes that clear. John makes that clear. Colossians makes that clear. Do what you will with whatever facts you have. But it's got to be conformed to what the Father wants. It's got to be conformed to what the Father has laid out in Genesis chapter 1. It must be done that way else you, d- you divorce from the Son what is rightfully His. That's not a place to be. It's not a place to be, right? So Genesis chapter 1 has got to be taken seriously, right? And it's treated that way, right? It's written that way. It's written as deliberate as it could possibly be to make it clear to you that it's not someone else who's doing the work over here, that it's not just forces that are unraveling and producing things as they do that. No, it is the work of the trinity. It is the work of God who is forming this earth, creating this earth, planning this earth, executing the work and looking at it and saying, it's good. Right? This is this is the foundation that Genesis is laying for us in Genesis chapter 1. Right? It's a foundation that begins in Genesis, it's a foundation that continues all the way uh, into the New Testament and it's a foundation that gets renewed as we look to a new heaven and a new earth that is just as good that is still the result of the son who makes it again right it is his work he is the creator and it results in glory and praise to him right this is the truth this is the foundation that we find in genesis chapter 1 and it leads us straight to cross straight to christ just as it always should doesn't it let's pray and, and, and we'll be dismissed Father, we, we come to you this morning and we, and we thank you for the work that we see here in Genesis. Uh, Father, it's not to, to say that we don't struggle as we look at this passage, just as we, just as we struggle with the other aspects of truth. Uh, this is not to say that it is inconvenient for us, perhaps, as we interact with other, other individuals, Father, who don't accept this as truth. But that's not, that's not foreign either, Father. We see that in plenty of other passages of Scripture as well. But, Father, the important thing for us to see here is that your son is exalted. And the important thing is is for us to exalt him as he is is due. Uh, And, and Father, we have that laid out for us clearly. Father, we thank you for this account. It answers questions. Uh, It it explains much uh, of what we see. And it has always done so. And and I pray, Father, that we are able to use it to that end, not only in our lives, uh, but, Father, as as we speak to others as well. And Father, I pray that we are bold in the way that we hold this dearly uh, because of the importance that it has to your Son and to his praise and his glory. So give us grace, Father, and thank you. Thank you for giving us truth uh, that we can pin ourselves on. Jesus' I pray. Amen.